1: just ne-
2: Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The hidden path made plain. Lord, I ask that as I speak this word tonight, you would quicken it by your Holy Spirit's power. Lord, as we gather in this place, without your Holy Spirit, nothing will happen. Lord, only you can quicken our hearts. Lord, we don't try to do anything to gin it up. Lord, we don't come trying to create flesh excitement. Lord, we need Holy Spirit power. Come, Holy Spirit of the living God. Come, Holy Spirit of the living God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Rock of Ages cliff for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. The double cure? I've always been taught there was only one cure. Double cure? It explains Save from wrath and make me pure. In other words, save from wrath. Justify me. Make me righteous. Justify me. Make me righteous. Second, totally sanctify me. So that even the well of darkness is removed from my soul. That's what this old time hymn... Is talking about, be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. In other words, I'm not going to be saved from wrath and I'm not going to be saved from impurity by the work of my hand. This is a gift of grace. It's an awesome gift of grace to our hearts. But this path is so hidden and so difficult to search out, and yet it's so plain, so simple. As a kid growing up, I spent a great deal of time tracking rabbits, deer, raccoons, wildlife. I discovered that some wildlife would follow no path. They always made a new path wherever they went. So you couldn't track them very easily by their path. But certain animals, like rabbits, always wanted that nice, smooth, beaten path to run on. They were express highways down through the meadow. So when I wanted to go to stir up a rabbit just for fun, I'd go looking for a path. and I'd follow that path. Now, Paths are hard to follow for two reasons. One, they can be so faint in the grass that you can barely discern where the rabbit has gone. And If you're not careful, you'll begin to imagine paths that are not there. And then you'll suddenly find you're petered out. There's no path to follow. And then you have to follow your own tracks back through the grass until you find where you lost the path. So sometimes paths are not easy to find because they've not been well traveled. They're faint. There's another reason that paths are difficult to follow. You track the path. It's very clear. It's hard beaten down. You know that hundreds of rabbits have run this path. Until suddenly, it branches off. And branches off and branches off until you stand up and you look over the meadow and you see 20 or 30 different paths. Now which path do you take? As far as you can see, there's no rabbit on any path. Which one will lead you to that hidden lair where he is resting from the bright sun? When you follow Jesus, the same is true part of the time the path is very faint and you're searching and it's feeling like you're on a dead end track. But then suddenly you come out and there are paths everywhere. I talked to a man this last week. He was talking about his all raw diet that he eats. And I in surprise said, do you even eat Raw meat? Oh, yes, everything's raw. I said, no, thank you. (laughs) He said, well, you've had sushi. I said, no, I passed on that too. Oh, you wouldn't like my raw diet. I said, what other strange thing do you believe? He began to talk to me about what he believed. He was a cashier. He began to tell me that everybody's going to go to heaven. And that we're going to go through many journeys on the journey to heaven. He said, I used to be a Roman Catholic, but I'm not a Roman Catholic anymore because I discovered that I was God. And now he's on his God journey. And everybody's going to go to heaven, whatever that means. But many would have to go through different path, I said, oh, what happens if you become a cockroach and somebody steps on you? He said, no, no, I won't ever become a cockroach. I'm always going to be ascending higher than I am now. I'll never go lower. Well, this man has followed strange paths. Truth for him is whatever suits his fancy. Truth for him is what he feels like. There is no, and I said to him, is there no infinite for you? He said, oh yes, I'm infinite. I didn't point out to him that his head was bald and he looked like he was one step out of the grave. Not very infinite. Soon his body will be moldering in the grave. And his infinity will be wrapped in dust. But he's not concerned because he's sure he'll emerge from that and go on to something greater. Maybe he'll come back as the President of the United States. Utter foolishness. No foundation upon which to base the path he walks upon. He said to me, You believe in the scriptures, don't you? Jan spoke up and said, yes, we're pastors. Oh, the wrong thing to say to him. He said, the scriptures are not true. Mere men wrote those scriptures and you can't trust them. I said, oh, wait a minute. You're speaking about the scriptures with such clarity. Perhaps you've read them. Well, no. You mean you have never read from Genesis to Revelation? No, I've heard about them. I said, oh, you're now trying to tell me that the scriptures have no import. The oldest wisdom language known to man, it has no import. And you, an educated man, has never read them. I challenge you. Read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation and then let's have a conversation about what you've read. He said, I might do that. Oh, I'm praying that Jesus will put his feet on the straight and narrow path. A scripture I want to share with you. Matthew, the 27th chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 45. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge and he filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split, the tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. And when the centurion and those who were with him were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely... He was the Son of God. Oh, now we have a path. But now we need to find the path in a way that's clear to our hearts and our minds. We see what historically happened. But what was happening in the spirit realm while this was happening in the physical realm? You see, the path we have to walk is not just... In the physical realm, it's also in the spirit realm. It's often easy to see the one in the physical realm. But our hearts rise up in rebellion and we say, no, I'm not going to walk that way. I will have what I want. But when we begin to decipher and see clearly with the light of scriptures, the path in the spirit, things begin to change in our hearts. So let's go to the book of Hebrews, and I want to share with you now what was happening in the spirit realm while this was going on in the physical realm. There was a foolish archaeologist who's done wonderful work until he came to the crucifixion of Jesus. And then he made the preposterous claim that the blood of Jesus had flowed Down to the ground and through a crevasse and had dripped onto the Ark of the Covenant located in a cave beneath the place of the crucifixion. Well, it's utter foolishness. There is no need for the blood of Jesus to appear on the Ark of the Covenant because the temple veil was rent. It was over for the earthly tabernacle. The blood of Jesus was not to drip on the Ark of the Covenant that was on the earth. It was to drip on the Ark of the Covenant that was in the spirit realm. That was in the heavenly realm. Because the tabernacle on the earth was a shadow of the heavenly sanctuary or tabernacle. It's what happens in the spirit realm that causes the salvation to be made effective. Jesus died in the physical, but he redeemed us in the spiritual. Notice in verse 8, this is Hebrews, the ninth chapter, verse 8. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. You almost begin here to get a sense of a man searching for a hidden path. Now, I don't know about when you were kids, but I found a treasure map when I was a kid. And I took that treasure map and I went searching after that treasure. Now, I didn't realize that it was a treasure map my dad had drawn out. I thought it was an ancient treasure map, and I was very excited. And so I went searching on that treasure map. I had filled my heart with stories of Treasure Island, Robinson Crusoe, Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn. That was my background. So now I had a real treasure map. And I went out through the countryside following that treasure map. It was go to the third fence post. Then go to the big tree you see straight ahead. Oh, I followed step by step that treasure map. Until finally I came Where I thought the treasure should be. I was carrying a shovel over my shoulder. I was that sure I'd find it. And I began to dig for the treasure. I found it. It was a one piece of silver a silver dollar. And my dad wrote a note Happy birthday, Ray.
3: Precious.
2: Now, it's the same kind of treasure map that the Holy Spirit is now laying out for us.
3: Hallelujah.
2: And if we'll begin to follow the signposts for this treasure, the treasure we find will not be silver or gold. It will be absolute peace of mind. It'll be absolute joy. Follow. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. In the Greek, it literally says, these gifts and sacrifices of the old covenant were not able to make complete or to make complete Perfect, the worshiper. So everything that happened in the old covenant was unable to make righteous. It was simply a series of rituals, if you please, a treasure map. And they were following the treasure map, but they were not able to find the treasure. They were searching for it, but it was unable to give them what they wanted. What they wanted was to be made complete, to be made holy, to be made like God, to be made righteous. It could not be done through the Old Covenant. All the Old Covenant could do was point the way like a treasure map. they are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, External regulations applying until the time of the new order. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. So the reason they were unable to be made perfect The reason they were unable to find the treasure was that the treasure map did something they're not allowed to do on a treasure map. It went up in the air. Imagine you're following a treasure map and it says, come to this tree on the south side of the field. You arrive there and the next clue says, now go up 10,000 feet. I can't do it the treasure map ends right there. Because the next clue is located 10,000 feet up in the air. I can't get there. There's no possible way for me to achieve that next step. It took Jesus to come and he, he came as a high priest. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. So Jesus had to go to a place where you and I cannot go for the treasure to be found. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. This was not symbolic blood. Jesus did not go into this heavenly tabernacle with a symbol of blood. He took his blood into that tabernacle. Real blood. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean. Sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then? will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences. The word cleanse, you could also translate, purify. Remove all sin from acts that lead to death. I looked that up. It really is more appropriately translated, from acts of toil. This same word is used a number of times in the New Testament and everywhere else that it is used. It's not translated death. It's translated working, laboring, toiling. The implication here would be if you translate it dead works, that it's speaking here about ceremonial actions. But in the context of the Greek, there is no hint of that direction. Instead, it's toil or work to be productive. Now, with that clarity, let me read it again. To cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God, from acts of toil. In other words, Jesus went into this holy sanctuary in heaven with his blood in order to rescue us from trying hard to find the path, from toiling, from constantly struggling, from trying to somehow open heaven for us. Oh, I can tell you tonight how many days and weeks and months and years I have spent trying to open heaven. I can't open heaven's gate. The gate's simply too big, too heavy, and too high. Someone else has to open it. I'm telling you tonight, someone else has opened it. And his name is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus opened the gate for us. He opened the trail for us. When we could not leave this physical realm, Jesus, through his sinless perfection as a sacrifice of atonement for us on Calvary, took that precious blood and went where we could not go and opened a door for us that only he can open And only he can shut. He opened it for us. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. I was very uncomfortable with that word in the NIV, ransom. King James Version translates it, I think, much more clearly, redemption. The sense here is that he died, the sense of the NIV as it's translated, is that he died as a ransom, in other words, if I kidnap, I charge a ransom price for his freedom. Who's the ransom price paid to? You. Me, I'm the kidnapper. The sense here is that the devil kidnapped the human race. So that would mean, if we let this word stand, that Jesus had to pay a price to the devil. That can't be. Jesus didn't die for the devil to pay off the devil. Jesus redeemed us because we chose of our own will to rebel against God and walk into darkness. And he had to pay an atoning price You remember the atonement, what the word atonement means in Scripture? It means pitch. It means tar. It means an ark was created. So Jesus, by dying, opened a way for us to come into an ark of safety. He gave us a passport into an ark of safety that we could enter into. The devil didn't get one drop of Jesus' blood. That blood's too precious. So the way was opened for us as wayward, lost men and women to return to an ark of safety. So that's why this word needs to be translated as redemption. It's used ten times in the scripture, other than in this specific location. And in all other instances, it's translated either as redemption or as deliverance. Nowhere else is it translated as ransom. When you look in your scripture in the NIV, it says, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free, as a is not in the Greek text. It's added. The word that's actually there in the Greek text Is for. So he died for. Redemption. To set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. I told you the path can take some twists. What did Jesus do in the spirit realm while he was dying in the physical realm? What happened in the spirit realm? In the spirit realm, after his resurrection, he ascended to the Father. He went into that tabernacle. His blood was offered in that tabernacle. He opened for us an ark of safety that we could enter into. We could not enter into that ark because it's in the heavenly realm. It took Jesus to open the way for us. The curtain in this Temple was many inches thick, probably at least 12 inches thick. That thing was rent from top to bottom. And we know from Hebrews that that was a symbol of Jesus being rent for us. So through the rent body of Jesus, a secret path was opened. That the old covenant didn't know about the reason it was open for us was to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. To release the captives from the toil. To release the captives from the hard work. Now we're having a difficult time understanding this tonight because everything Almost everything we've been taught is that there's a single cure. We've been taught that Jesus died for us, and now we're saved, we're under the blood, but we're still going to continue walking in our sin and wickedness. But Jesus won't look at us, he'll look at himself, and so it's all covered over. So you can continue walking in sin. No, Jesus didn't die. Open a secret path into the heavenly realm so we would continue under the devil's dominion. He opened for us a secret path of total and absolute deliverance from all sin committed under the law. So the law has no hold on us, not because the law was evil or wicked, it was righteous. It was we who were the sinners. All the law did was point out our sin. So he opened that secret path. Can I tell you what the treasure is? Oh, the treasure is Jesus. But I need to be more specific. The treasure is righteousness, Jesus is righteousness. Jesus brought righteousness. And so to even begin to imagine that I'm going to remain in this place of bondage is to totally get off the track and be led off into a place that will result in a dead end. And then I'll have to turn around and come tracing my way back. Have any of you experienced this? Where you where you just find yourself out in a field and you can't find the path and it seems like it's hopeless and you can't figure out how to get through this and your heart cry goes up to God and you say, God, if you don't rescue me, I'm lost. You're gonna have to find me. I can't work it. Have you ever called somebody on the telephone and said, Help, I'm lost and they say, Where are you? and you say, I don't know, I'm lost. I'm lost. You know, I was going over to Debbie's house. I was looking for her address. I didn't realize her address numbers weren't up. Oh, they're hidden. They're not up. I drove back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, Dodging the bullets of cars driving a hundred miles an hour. Finally, I called and I said, I'm lost. She gave me the wonderful news. Just keep driving and I'll come to the end of the drive and wave. That's what Jesus does for us. Hallelujah. He comes to where we're lost and he says, come on. I'm waving for you. Do you see me? That's what happens in the prayer closet when we go in and we begin to cry aloud to the Lord and say, Lord, I've lost the path. Would you get me back on the path? He says, I'll come down to the end of the trail. You know what? In my mind, that's where I see the father of the prodigal. I don't think the father stayed up in the house. I think he wore a path every day down to the edge of the property where he stood watching for his returning son so his son would not get lost. But he had to come to his senses and he had to want to go home and he had to understand what the condition of his heart was. And he had to humble his heart and say, Dad, I don't even belong here anymore. I have no right here anymore. Let me come and be a servant in your house. Let me be a slave in your house. Dad, standing down at the end of his property, sees him coming and runs and throws his arms around him, puts a new robe about him, puts the ring on his finger, puts the checkbook on his finger. That's what the ring was. He's welcomed back home. This is is what Jesus was doing in the spirit realm. Now, go with me further. Look in Hebrews 9. We're going to begin with verse 26. Speaking about offering himself again and again. He's saying, no, he wouldn't have to offer himself. He offered once and for all. Then Christ, verse 26, would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages. Well, wait a minute. That was 2,000 years ago. End of the ages? Do you all realize the end of the ages were 2,000 years ago? Why? Because the treasure was found 2,000 years ago. And the door to heaven was opened to us 2,000 years ago. And so now the way is open and clear by the blood of Jesus. The path is heaven bound. And we're invited to to walk that road of holiness now. Heaven is now. Revival is now. It's for our hearts now. Now. But just in case you doubt, let's continue the scripture. I'll show you in the scripture, it's going to say this. But now he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to Take away the sins of many people. That Greek phrase for take away, I don't like the translation. There's a much more literal translation that is much more wonderful to begin to understand what God gave us. In the Greek, literally, instead of take away, it is to take up. To take up. To lift up. Now they translated it to take away because there is the sense you have to pick it up to take it away. Here's a man, here's a woman, here's a boy, here's a girl crushed under a burden of guilt, of anxiety, of depression, of discouragement. And Jesus came and he took that burden And he lifted it up off that man or woman, that boy or girl. He lifted that burden up off of them and he carried it away. He didn't say, get up on your feet and then I'll put it on your back so you can carry it. He took it away. He lifted it up off of us. So if there is a burden on your heart tonight, a burden of sin a burden of despair, a burden of discouragement. It's because you're choosing it to be there. It doesn't need to be there. The deliverance has been given. The deliverance has come. Now, maybe it's there on your heart because you've lost the path. Well, that's all right. You don't have to keep losing the path you have the right to go into the prayer closet and lift your hands up to Jesus and say, Lord God, I lost the path. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Would you put my feet back on your path? He put your feet back on the path. And guess where the path is? No toil. It's rest. When Jesus came in the book of John, When he came to the apostles in the upper room, he said to them his first words. Peace, I give unto you. He breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Ghost. And then he said to them again, peace, I give unto you. The two key things that Jesus first said to the apostles. Peace I give to you. Well, what does the word peace mean in the Greek? It's shalom. It doesn't mean hello, although it can mean that. It is a greeting. If I say shalom, Jan, I'm saying every provision that I have, I give to you. I am now giving you access to my billfold. All that I have, I give to you. That's what shalom means. It doesn't mean the absence of warfare, even though it does mean that. Shalom means peace, it means that He's my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why? Because he leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He doesn't take me to a desert. So when he says to his disciples, peace, he's saying, you have access to the heavenly ATM. All of my resources are here for you. All of my love is here for you. All of my protection is here for you. Don't fight over the grass. I'm going to give you plenty of grass. Don't fight over the water. I'm going to give you plenty to drink. In fact, I'm going to prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Who are your enemies? Your sins. Those things that constantly attack you and try to destroy you. Those fears that rise up in your heart. Those old habits that come against you and say, I'm going to have you. And you say, no, in the name of Jesus, you're not going to have me because I no longer trust in you. You are not my shepherd. Jesus is my shepherd. Oh, suddenly the burden is lifted off. The discouragement is gone. The despair is gone. My eyes are on the path in the heavenly realm. I'm walking now with Jesus Christ. Ephesians tells me that I'm actually seated with Christ in heavenly places at his right hand. See, there's a great gap that we're, that we're living with between the physical realm and the spiritual realm And these two have to be brought together so that we no longer see any separation in our hearts between the physical realm and the spirit realm. What am I saying? I'm saying the spirit realm wants to invade every space you occupy. Wants to invade your house. Wants to invade your job. Wants to invade your car. Wants to invade your private world. There has to be a a melding together now of the physical realm and the spiritual realm so that we see no line of distinction between the two. Because we're invited to live in the spirit realm with Jesus Christ. So Christ was sacrificed once to lift up, to, to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time not to bear sins. To be clear about the meaning here. Not to separate us from our sins. Not to separate us from our sins is the sense of the Greek. It's not just to bear, but to separate us from, to be apart from. Why is this so important? I want you to understand that when Jesus comes again, it's to claim his spotless bride. It is not to separate us from sin. We've been called to walk before him in holiness, in righteousness. He has given all the provision necessary for this to happen. What a glorious truth. That when Jesus comes a second time, it's not to bear sin. It's not to separate us from our sin. But to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now, we have salvation now. But we're not physically in heaven yet. But when he comes back again. He's going to see those dear ones who have hidden themselves in him. Who have stayed on that path of righteousness. Who, yes, got lost. Who got off the path. Who despaired of ever finding it again. But who went in the prayer closet and cried with tears to the Lord and submitted to him. And he put their feet back on the path. That's grace, that's mercy, that's kindness, that's love. That's incredible, incredible kindness. So he puts our feet back on the path. And as we walk that path, he separates that sin from us. By the blood of Jesus, not by toil, but as a gift of God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, tonight I stand by faith that you have lifted off our hearts. The sin and the toil, the burden of sin. Lord, I trust now you've lifted it from our hearts. And you're releasing us in the spirit realm. Lord, I don't bring any price. For nothing I have is valuable enough to create that atonement. Lord, I trust in your atonement. I trust in what you've done, Jesus. My confidence is in you, Jesus. I look to you, Jesus. You are my righteousness, Jesus. Thank you, almighty God. I pray in your holy name. Amen.
3: This one I see In the pages of God's Word With hair as white as snow And with gold about his is His eyes flame flaming fire His feet as brass aglow in brilliant righteousness His voice's mighty waters flow
2: You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon.